You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. The Blockchain Dialogues podcast series aims to analyze the various cutting edge concepts, technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that is considered by many as one of the most important aspects of public blockchains, something that will decide the success and failure of the various projects in the blockchain industry. And that is the topic of governance. Blockchain governance in simple terms can be described as a collection of rules, regulations, policies and incentives and penalties that a distributed network of people can adopt in order to ensure that the goals of the network are being met the network is following certain commonly agreed upon mechanisms to improve itself and to ensure that the network is not being compromised at any point of time in today's podcast we're going to explore the importance of various aspects of governance in a blockchain based system we're going to be looking at the importance of on-chain governance off-chain governance how ethereum handles the two what are ethereum requests for comments or ERCs what are ethereum improvement proposals and so on so with that, Nikhil, would you like to start off with a background for blockchain governance, why it's needed and how a project like Ethereum handles it? Sure. So, uh, so first let's, let's kind of look at what is governance, right? So uh, today, at least, uh, governance essentially uh, functions within pretty much every type of organization, right? And uh, if you look at governance, uh, the majority of the time, it's basically some sort of centralized hierarchical structure, right? Uh, there are, you can think about, okay, you can say that, okay, there are cooperatives and then, you know, uh, employee-run companies, etc. But at, at the end of the day, those basically are more uh, mechanisms to uh, deploy the profits or deploy the, uh, the benefits of the company rather than ways to actually run the govern the company right so typically uh, in today's world uh, governance has followed a centralized structure and this is especially true when the organization is large um, as soon as you you you'll notice in startups basically you might have a few founders and it's more uh, democracy and uh, people are talking to each other but as soon as they reach a certain size then you have the manager layer come in and various uh, you know hierarchies and the reason for this from a capitalist perspective is that it's a optimization of efficiency a small group or a single leader can make quick decisions and be agile right and the general narrative is that it is better to be quick and have make make a bad decision that is a quick take it quickly than take no decision at all on uh, and and then make no have no forward movement so generally from a uh, markets or a uh, organizational perspective private company perspective this is the general thinking in terms of governance in in the uh, larger context if you take the you know political government governance nation state governments and everything here also you will find that in general it is a small group of people uh, usually they are representative democracies but you can have dictatorships you can have you know communist uh, governance also but again you will find that it is this uh, centralized uh, hierarchy 
hierarchical form of gov- uh, governance with uh, you know command and control uh, kind of mentality the this concentration of power at least in the nation state basically is limited uh, by by the whole idea of voting right so you have the uh, you have the uh, small group of people or the individuals who are voted into power by the community for a limited term and that particular term basically puts the control uh, on uh, on on the extent of power that they can usually have and uh, but you've been no- we've been noticing of late that even that limited control has now started slipping uh, and uh, it's losing its teeth because uh, because you know the messaging and the information that has been provided to the community is being uh, controlled and limited by the governing entity so that so that the message is works out uh, in its favor now so this is basically how governance works in the world today right now blockchains are a different beast they are a software primarily it's a software system it's a networking system which has actually got Uh, as part of its uh, functioning right the concept of a community and concept of a network and uh, it is important to make the distinction that see this this is a new technology there are lots of moving parts um, this is the first time we are actually looking at this blend of economics of network theory of uh, software etc and uh, there's no real provable sustainable governance mechanism invented yet for blockchain uh, maybe bitcoin can be thought of it but uh, and that's it's 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 been around for a decade and one could argue that that might be because of its governance but uh, other than that i haven't really we haven't really seen too much you know maturity on in terms of blockchain communities so what exactly is governance uh, so how, how how exactly do we actually use uh, uh, governance in blockchains there's an opportunity here right one is that uh, blockchains are unique they have thousands of they they are software so you can actually build whatever kind of governance system you want whatever kind of policy you want and uh, you know if you don't like it it's software you change the software you throw it away you come up with a new new software right and uh, in many cases the con- consequences of failure are lower so here's an uh, opportunity to rethink and experiment with different govern- governance structures right blockchain governance is uh, mainly classified into two uh, it it can be on chain governance it can be off chain governance so on chain governance essentially is the idea that you have some sort of master algorithm uh, that is uh, controlling everything right and uh, that we we are basically uh, there is there, in this master algorithm there is a way to upgrade itself upgrade the uh, blockchain itself the off chain governance mechanism essentially is uh, the more familiar one bitcoin and ethereum and most of the bigger cryptocurrencies currently use it's basically the idea that uh, okay this is the, this is the general open source idea you have a group of uh, you have a community of 
people they get together they they coordinate and they they build and they change the software right so since you just mentioned bitcoin let me just quickly jump in uh, so one of the things about bitcoin that you know people see as a big disadvantage compared to some of the other cryptocurrencies is basically a lack of uh, an effective governance system you know so like any time a set of people in the community they are not happy with you know the rules and you know with with the vision of the of the net of the participants of the network as a whole there's a hard fork and any time hard fork happens the network is weaker you know at least at least for some time so what are your thoughts on that like how do you see that playing out you know in terms of importance of uh, effective governance for a system like bitcoin and and what the other you know what the other systems might be able to do um very good points so uh, if you look at bitcoin essentially bitcoin as a protocol by itself does not have a uh, governance mechanism internally right the only thing they have are certain rules like you know the 21 million uh, limit and uh, you know the uh, difficulty adjustment algorithm etc these are very simple uh, we couldn't even call them governance mechanisms it's more of a Uh, an algorithm uh, for a very narrow uh, use case in in bitcoin basically the the challenge basically is that you know uh, you have a lot of centralization the the proof of work algorithm the the way the miners basically the the cartelization of miners uh, the fact that okay uh, you have uh, essentially you know a bunch of people who uh, the, the large group of people or the vast majority of the people are inside that system uh, from the perspective of uh, making money on it and uh, there's no clear incentive to actually uh, build uh, for for people who are trying to improve the software or write the software or maintain the software so given these basically you have an existing you know core group of enthusiasts who actually started it out and then basically there's a small group of miners who are basically supporting uh, whatever flavor of uh, uh, developer development that they would like to see and uh, because of that you know you have a lot of conservative uh, thinking and uh, it moves very slowly but that's not to say that blockchain bitcoin does not move at all it has the bitcoin improvement protocol there there have been changes there have been some movement it's just that okay it's not as fast as you would think with regard to hard forks i think hard forks are something that are uh, a necessary reaction to this kind of challenge right so uh, i would say hard code hard forks are kind of like your last ditch uh, evolution mechanism so it's almost like you can think of the blockchain as an uh, organism right right uh, you assume these systems uh, you start with an initial design for these systems to work in their environment uh, they need to evolve to survive right the initial design is important but uh, you know if you want it to last for very long you need a way to a mechanism for change right and uh, 
if you don't change or if you don't have a robust mechanism for change uh, you will even and eventually kind of lead to a new species right because your old species basically dies off and then there's this new species or the other way would be to actually be provide a mechanism for evolution and uh, as a species basically you adapt to whatever environment so you you're basically hard folks so if you look at it hard folks on bitcoin are considered a bad thing as considered a uh, what do you call it uh, uh, contentious thing right where where you would create the creation of a new coin but uh, hard forking in ethereum uh, for example as a as a contrast hard forking in ethereum is planned right in the roadmap of ethereum there are hard forks right so it's it's almost taken as part of the governance mechanism and the part of the evolution of ethereum that it will hard fork right right to actually address issues and challenges that they have seen right now uh, so uh, so i i would i would basically argue that depending on how robust your or resilient your processes hard forking can be taken as a part of the evolution of your product or a way for a competitor to come and take over your product great so now that we know why governance is important let's look into how governance actually works to understand the various mechanisms of governance better let's first look at off-chain governance and then on-chain governance off-chain governance can be considered closer to traditional governance models in the real world various blockchain systems use off-chain governance models to maintain a balance of power between core developers miners users and business entities basically all the stakeholders that are a part of the network on-chain governance on the other hand is a more recent innovation it generally involves decentralized on-chain voting mechanisms optimized for that network and mostly the results are controlled by algorithms in such a way that uh, there is an automatic execution of these algorithms and that is built into the protocol itself so with that nikhil would you like to expand into how these mechanisms are addressed in a system like that of ethereum mm, sure so if you look at uh... Uh, like you were correctly pointing out uh, okay on chain uh, governance mechanisms like i explained earlier with bitcoin uh, as well as with ethereum uh, ethereum it's not that ethereum and bitcoin don't have on chain mechanisms governance mechanisms they but uh, they have algorithms to do that uh, but it's for very narrow and very clear questions right so it's things like what is the uh, difficulty level which is an algorithm um, so it automatically adjusts so it's a governance mechanism you could argue that uh, another one would be in ethereum there is uh, something known as the gas limit so just a quick aside into what is gas uh, gas essentially is the uh, name given to ether which is a token of ethereum that is paid to miners when they execute a smart contract right so as part of your mining Uh, work you have to execute a smart contract uh, every time there is a transaction made against such card smart contract and the execution itself takes a certain amount of uh, resources therefore those resources are accounted for and paid in terms of ether along with the transaction and that is known as gas uh, or to us indians basically would call it petrol <laughs> <laughs> 
whereas you know it's it, gas is a very american term uh, true anyway so to come back to uh, what i was saying so on chain governance mechanisms exist uh, but you know in ethereum and um, mostly the big decisions the software upgrade the product roadmap etc are handled uh, off chain so off chain they use an off chain governance mechanism it's known as the ethereum improvement proposal and uh, it's basically derived from bitcoin uh, bitcoin has a bitcoin improvement protocol proposal and uh, point over here essentially is that uh, the these proposals basically are available on the public anybody any developer can submit an ethereum improvement proposal and there is a clear process by which a ethereum improvement proposal is accepted i mean is is looked at reviewed accepted and then implemented right uh, if you just a quick aside into the little bit of the history this is actually not a new Uh, governance mechanism this has been there for for a while uh, the uh, the the mechanism basically is derived from the python enhancement propo- uh, proposal a pep which is uh, which has been there since the early 2000s uh, and uh, this is actually uh, so to give a little bit of context python is a programming language uh, not a snake Uh, and uh, basically uh, it's it's one of the more popular programming languages out there it was invented by a guy called guido von rossum uh, another interesting thing about uh, guido is that uh, he is basically considered to be he was basically voted as the in quotes benevolent dictator for life for a python which essentially made him the single decision maker final decision maker for any changes or any uh, improvements to be made to the python language now he started then a python foundation and he started gradually you know uh, giving them more and more responsibilities and he then recently retired from that particular post and now there uh, Im- there there is a python <laughs> enhancement proposal for a mechanism to governance mechanism to replace him so coming back from all that history uh when we come back to uh yeah eips or uh ethereum improvement proposals an eip is a design document so essentially it is a it's a design document uh, it's written in plain english in markdown actually uh and it has certain sections it has an intro it has a description etc etc and basically the person who submits it is known as the eip champion right and it, they are, they are responsible Uh, unless they actually give that responsibility over to somebody else they are responsible for pushing the cip through the process a quick overview of the process basically it starts with uh, as a work in progress in fact just before the work in progress uh, people are encouraged to just check to see whether there are any existing eips that duplicate it or you know ask developers whether there were any uh, thoughts along those particular the that that are similar to that idea so that you know there is no there is less duplication of the uh, of the thing but once you start assuming that you go through that and uh, you still want to submit it you start as a work in progress that's basically uh, champion asks the ethereum community uh, whether an idea has any chance of support uh, 
and uh, they will create a draft EIP and submit it as a submission on uh, GitHub. So GitHub, there is a uh, there is a site. Well, there is a GitHub repository uh, for EIPs, and uh, draft EIPs are submitted as a pull request or as a, as, as a submission. This uh, draft is then read through. The initial draft is read through. You can and and then finally it is merged. So if it is accepted, the initial review accepts it and is merged in as a draft. So once it is merged in into the repository, it is considered a draft. You can submit follow-up uh, changes to your draft until such point that you believe it is mature and ready to proceed, right? And then uh, there's also there's a lot of uh, so all of these drafts basically have a commenting uh, structure. So there would be back and forth on it. Uh, comments raised, issues raised, and you have to answer all of that. Um, then there is, a, once it is considered to be mature and ready to proceed, there's a last call uh, where that particular uh, EIP would be listed on a website called eips.ethereum.org. Uh, you can, uh, anybody can see that and then, you know, anybody from the public can make a uh, objection if they want. Uh, once it passes through last call, uh, it is accepted. Once an EIP is accepted, uh, this is spe specifically for core EIPs only and I'll tell you what a core EIP is. Uh, it's in the hands of the Ethereum client developers. They then decide to encode it into their clients as part of a hard fork and that's, that's a separate uh, flow, right? So the Ethereum uh, application uh, or the Ethereum blockchain is unique in that it has multiple clients so all of the clients basically have to then accept a code this particular EIP in order for it to be part of the blockchain uh, Ethereum blockchain and uh, once this is uh, made part of the hard fork and then the hard fork is deployed uh, then it becomes final right and an EIP is now in production so to speak it's in the network it's part of the client code and uh, the EIP is marked as final that's it represents the current state of the art and uh, you should not up, it, it is now kind of locked uh, the now so this is basically a flow for a successful EIP EIPs can also be deferred so you can have an EIP that is put off for a future hard fork because of whatever reason it can be rejected which is fundamentally broken they don't agree then uh, you can be superseded so an EIP might exist in this current hard fork might be superseded with by another one which is an improvement on it in which case it can be it will be referred to by the new uh, EIP as the superseded one uh, and then at this point, basically, let's just give you a quick overview of uh, some of the types of EIPs. So when you talk about uh, an improvement protocol, there are several types. So one is the standard track EIP, which describes changes that affect the implementation, the software, right? So it can be the network protocol, uh, change in the data, the data structure of the blocks, or the validity rule of the transaction validity or maybe the application creation standards maybe there's a new programming uh, smart contract programming language order right 
Um, so in that standard track itself, there are a few subclasses. Essentially, one is core, which is improvements requiring a consensus fork. A consensus fork is essentially hard fork. Uh, then there's networking, which is focused on the networking protocol. Uh, improvements on the client, so essentially the get, uh, uh, the client functionality improvements. So like the API and the user interface, etc. Um, then there's improvements. So in interface would include improvements to your, you know, the smart contract, virtual machine, EVM, and etc. Uh, then ERC essentially is uh, application level standards and conventions. So this is at the smart contract level. So it ERCs typically talk about you know standards for contracts, standards for con tokens, uh, wallet standards, library formats, etc. So this is basically the four types of uh, uh, standard track EIPs. In addition, there is also the informational EIP. An informational EIP essentially is, can be thought of as like best practices or guidelines. Uh, it describes a Ethereum design issue or some kind of information to the Ethereum company, the community, sorry. It does not represent any uh, improvements to the code as such. It doesn't improve any, propose any new feature. And uh, it doesn't have to uh, represent the Ethereum community consensus. Okay. So it can be just that, okay, this is my opinion or this is my design feature. Um, in uh, meta EIP basically that's the uh, uh, third type. Uh, that actually describes a process surrounding the Ethereum community. So essentially a meta EIP would be a change in the EIP process or a change in some other process that the Ethereum community uses. So uh, process EIPs uh, can be like standard track EIPs but uh, apply to areas that are not part of the software. Now, uh, informational EIPs, if you look at the workflow, right, since they don't get coded in, they have a different status. Their, their final status is actually called as active. So an informational EIP can be active or a meta EIP can be active, but uh, they'll, not, they'll not be considered to be final. Right? You can only be superseded or uh, uh, rejected, etc. So, uh, one quick side note. So, we talked about EIPs. You've seen the parties involved, right? So, you have the champion or the EIP author. Then you have an EIP editor, which is basically the people you're collaborating with during the draft stage. And then there is the Ethereum core developer. The core developer is basically... Uh, a set of developers from multiple companies that actually work on the Ethereum client, right? So these uh, these clients basically are uh, Ethereum is unique in that it has multiple clients, right? So it actually so you have Get, you have Parity, you have uh, a bunch of others actually that I, I keep forgetting the names. These are two big ones, uh, but uh, what they do actually is they actually have a call right they have a uh, community meetup video meetup and it's transparent anybody can uh, join and, and listen in 
uh, I think you have to be uh, invited to actually participate in it, give your opinion, etc. But anybody, it is publicly available. You can listen to it and understand what is happening. Uh, and there, basically, they discuss all of these things, the EIPs and the uh, how they are uh, moving forward and what their opinions are on stuff. So there's a lot of transparency in this process. The these companies in themselves, essentially, the economic incentive is they are paid by the Ethereum Foundation. So in this particular case, uh, in this way, Ethereum is very similar to Python. So there is a benevolent dictator, so to speak. There is a guy called Vitalik Buterin. He's the founder of Ethereum. He has a uh, he has a large influence, basically. And there is the Ethereum Foundation. The Ethereum Foundation is considered to be a research organization. So they basically look at, you know, what is the uh, consensus level algorithms, research into new algorithms, new processes and things like, uh, things like that. They are not directly involved in development of the protocol or the clients itself. What they do is they actually recommend and design EIPs and that go through this particular process and then they, they, they are accepted by the community. Great. So with that, I think we have covered almost all the important aspects of governance on Ethereum. Uh, just so one final thing. What are your thoughts about the future of governance and you know, basically what parts of governance do you see working, not working and how blockchain governance as a whole may evolve going forward? So, uh, in terms of the future of governance, I think it's absolutely going to be a vital thing. I also see that, uh, you know, I think governance on blockchains would be a precursor to or a, uh, you know, a vital experimental ground where uh, new governance mechanisms for uh, digital societies are created. Uh, whether it is on-chain or off-chain, well, uh, in the short term, I see off-chain to be still the most stable one, uh, primarily because if you look at what Ethereum has done, right, they have not actually created a completely new uh, methodology. They have actually taken what has been in the community for a long time. So even if you look at an ERC, right, Ethereum request for comment. That is actually based off a standard or uh, a, a pro, uh, protocol known as the RFC, Request for Comment, which has been there uh, as, as part of the internet standards for a long time. So the Internet Engineering Task Force, W3C, all of these bodies basically have uh, RFCs for various standards like HTML, TCP, HTTP, etc. And uh, they've been around for, you know, ever since the beginning of the internet. Um, they've taken the uh, Ethereum improvement protocol proposal uh, from Python enhancement proposals again, which has uh, been proven and uh, uh, is a big uh, part of how Python uh, functions. So it's, these are all functional things. Uh, if you look at forking, this is not something new. Again, something that is fundamental in the open source community. Um, so all of these mechanisms that they have off-chain are something that is familiar to, you know, developers, software developers, web developers, uh, and uh, basically are things that are known to have 
worked uh, have limitations and uh, but they are known limitations right so it's not to say that on-chain governance should not be taken up absolutely feel that on-chain governance should be taken up new models should be tried out but uh, i don't actually see that being done for things like upgrading protocols or software updates to a great deal because if you look at on-chain governance um, you can look at it in two ways you can have it as a purely automated thing so those would be the you know voting algorithms which have automated voting rights and stuff like that um, which i feel would not be sufficiently uh, mature or sufficiently uh, complex enough to understand or uh, take in the nuances of uh, software updates uh, you would have to get people involved so at the very least you would need to have some kind of hybrid on chain governance where you know signals are provided to uh, the stakeholders or the voters and then there is a voting uh, mechanism built around that uh, in either case i think uh, purely automated uh, governance is a little ways away in my opinion uh that's that's pretty much i have what i have to say on on the future of governance i think it's an important topic uh, absolutely should is uh, is i should be an active area of research and i think it is an active area of research it's just that i'm not holding my breath on uh, something that is going to be transformational happening uh, tomorrow all right folks that concludes our podcast we hope that you found this episode on ethereum governance useful learn more about us on bcdialogues.com and please leave us your feedback thanks again for joining us on this episode of the blockchain dialogues podcast see you next time